All right, welcome back. Part two of the top 100, numbers 80 to 61. Waste no more time. Go ahead and hit the music. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. Number 80, Maurice Cheeks. One of the most underrated point guards to ever play. Mo was fantastic for Philly in their 1983 championship. He was everything a point guard should be. A distributor, a floor general, and a really good defender. He was a good player who was a decent scorer while giving Dr. J the ball his first four years in the league. But that all changed when Moses Malone came to town. Cheeks would earn his first all-star appearance in 82-83, as the Sixers would tear through the league and almost sweep through the playoffs to win its only championship. Although the Sixers would not win another ring, Cheeks would see the same kind of numbers until he would take it up another notch to make three straight All-Stars starting in 85-86. He would up his stats to 15.5 points per game, 9.2 assists per game, and and 2.5 steals per game. He would then become a veteran facilitator in San Antonio, New York, and New Jersey. He would retire in 1993 with a great resume that would include five all-defensive teams, four all-star games, 11.1 points per game, 6.7 assists per game, and 2.1 steals per game. All of that would put him into the Hall of Fame in 2018. Number 79, Kevin Love. Love was the king of rebounds of the early 2010s and the king of outlet passes for the late 2010s. Love was a pretty good player in Minnesota for mostly coming off the bench, averaging 11.1 and 14 points per game in his first two seasons, respectively. But he would crack the starting lineup full-time and would become an all-star by becoming a 20-point-per-game scorer and lead the league in rebounds at 15.2 per game. This campaign would also earn him the league's most improved player award. He would be a three-time All-Star in Minnesota until LeBron James called for his help and the Kings returned to Cleveland. So he would be a part of the th- of a three-team trade that would send K-Love to the land as the Timberwolves would net Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett from Cleveland and Thad Young from Philly. 76ers would receive... Luke Mbaumute and Alexi Shved from Minnesota and a future first-round pick from Cleveland that would turn out to be Timothy Luawu Cabro. Really only one winner out of that trade, if you ask me. Like Chris Bosh in Miami, Love would have to become a stretch four to accommodate the King and would be pretty good at it as he would be a two-time All-Star for the Cavs. The Cavs were moving right along in his first year until the first round of the playoffs. Three for three. 
Olenek in love fighting for it. And it's going to be good. Love hurt. Love hurt himself. Yes, he did. His shoulder popped out. Yeah, he ran right yeah, past. Going right to the locker. Yeah, I think it. his shoulder popped out. So a big moment here as Kevin Love's shoulder popped out as he was battling with Olenek, and he raced right to the locker. Love would miss the rest of their NBA Finals run as the Cavs would lose in six games against the Warriors. And if the Cavs had a healthy Kyrie and Love, they would probably win the 2015 Finals. The Cavs' big three would bounce back the next year and pull off the only 3-1 comeback in finals history. And Love was defending Stephen Curry in the clutchest moment, and Curry passed it off, got it back, and missed it on Love's great closeout. Love picks up Curry. Curry steps back, fakes the three, drives again, shut off nicely, found a green, seven to shoot. Curry takes the three, steps back, crossover, puts up a three. Rebound James with 30 seconds. After Kyrie went to Boston and LeBron went to L.A., the Cavs were not even close to what they were in their four straight trips to the finals. Love would eventually end up in Miami where they made the NBA Finals and lost to the Nuggets. Number 78, Bob Lanier. One of the toughest players to ever play. I dare you to try to drag him up and down the court like Kareem had to. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen, kid. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court for 48 minutes. The number one pick in the 1970 draft that featured Pistol Pete and Tiny Archibald, Lanier had some big names to live up to with his classmates. Lanier was just a pure scorer, as in his 14-year career, the least amount of points he would score was 10.7 per game. And that was his second-to-last season where he would only play 39 games. He was a seven-time All-Star in Detroit, including the 73-74 All-Star MVP, and a one-time All-Star in Milwaukee. He would average 20.1 points per game, 10.1 rebounds per game, 1.5 blocks per game, 3.1 assists per game, and 1.1 steals per game as a center for his Hall of Fame career. Number 77, Sean Kemp. Probably the best second half of an alley-oop to ever play. The Rain Man was fantastic in the rainy city. I gotta be honest. Kemp's career did not look good in his rookie year. Only averaging 6.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, 0.3 assists on 1.3 turnovers per per game. But that'll change when the glove came to the Sonics. Kemp would immediately jump to a 15 points per game scorer in 1990 and 91 and not fall below that mark until the new millennium. 
From 92 to 98, he was an all-star. Five in Seattle and one in Cleveland. He may not be one of the first players you think of when it comes to his era, but he was a great second option on a Sonics team that fell to the 72-10 and 10 Bulls in six games, where he would average 23.3 points per game, 10 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.3 steals, and 2 blocks per game. Definitely better than his rookie year numbers. And the cherry on top for me, he's from Indiana. To be honest, I am seriously puzzled on how he has not made the Hall of Fame. Number 76, Sam Jones. Gonna have a check. The clock is moving. Five seconds. To Sam, his 20-foot jumper. Good. One second. If there's anyone to thank in terms of the style of play today, for me it'd be Sam Jones because he was one of the first to effectively use the jump shot. The player that has the second most championships at 10 Jones was obviously crucial in the Celtics' run to immortality. His nickname is literally The Shooter, mind you. And he was a five-time All-Star starting at the age of 28. He would end up averaging 17.7 points per game, which would have been way higher if it wasn't for his rookie year where he only averaged 4.6 points per game. And he would end up making the Hall of Fame in 1984. Number 75, Damian Lillard. Lillard has a timeout. Lillard, a chance to send the Thunder home. Lillard, long range three, and it's good! At the buzzer, Damian Lillard! Are you kidding me? A 37-foot Dagger. Up to be one of the best in his era that is dominated by all-time great point guards like Paul, Westbrook, and Curry, Dame is one of the most clutch players to play at the position. Being the sixth pick in a draft that included Anthony Davis as number one pick, Lillard was not expected to do much. But much like the rest of his career, he went above and beyond and won the 2012-2013 Rookie of the Year. Averaging 19 points per game, 6.5 assists per game. He would follow that year up with two stray All-Star nods, but would be out of the game in the next two years due to being in the same conference as Stephen Curry and Russell Westbrook. He would then make four straight All-Stars from 2017 to 2021, and then join the ranks again in 2023 after missing the game due to injury. One thing that people have said about Lillard is that, yeah, he's clutch, talented scorer, but does it really matter if you don't have playoff success? One, yes, it matters. The paths that he has had to go through to make, even past the first round, were tough enough. Two, he's now in Milwaukee with a Bucks team that not only has Giannis Antetokounmpo, but somewhat decent chunk of their core that won the 2021 championship. So strap in. This is going to be fun where Dame's going to prove a lot of people wrong. Number 74, Bernard King. Sparrow setting it up. King putting the move on Nymphius. Bernard with 26. Someone who has been underrated for far too long in my opinion. P. 
people need to put respect on Bernard King's name. Four-time All-Star over 10 years, King was a talent overshadowed in a league that had Dr. J, George Gervin, Adrian Dantley, Alex English, and Larry Bird at the same position. He would only average less than double-digit scoring twice in his 14 years in the league. His third year, where he only played 19 games, and his last year at the age of 36. He would take the 1984-85 scoring crown as he would average 32.9 points per game, beating out Michael Jordan and Larry Bird by 4 points per game. He would end up averaging 22.5 points per game as he would only average less than 20 for 3 years, including the 2 years I previously mentioned. He would become underrated no more as he would be inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2013. Number 73, Joe Dumars. 70-57, Pistons by 13, thanks to the heroics of that guy. Dumars again. He hit it again. I don't believe it. 29 for Dumars. An underrated defender for the bad boy Pistons, Dumars was a quiet assassin. You can see how he is an underrated defender because he only averaged 0.9 steals per game for his career. But that is not indicative of a player's defensive abilities. Trust me. Don't believe me? Fine. Here's Michael Jordan on what made Dumars a great defender. He thought well. I mean, he was very smart about his defenses. I think he approaches the game as trying to dissect his opponents and try to find weaknesses or try to force them to do things that they didn't feel comfortable doing. And he introduced certain tricks to make me you know, expand on my talents as an offensive player. I mean, uh, that's why I consider him the best. Outside of his defensive prowess, Dumars was a great scorer that gave the bad boys bad boys an outside game, excuse me, shooting 46% from the field and 38.2% from three. He would also be a six-time All-Star, and most importantly, the 1988-89 Finals MVP, where he would average 27.3 points per game, outpacing Isaiah Thomas by six points per game. Dumars played a major role on one of the most infamous teams in basketball history, along with all of those accolades that he had, got him into the Hall of Fame in 2006. Number 72, Joel Embiid. 13, Raptors lead, under five to go in our first quarter. Harden driving, dishing to Embiid! Oh my goodness! Our most recent MVP at the time of recording this, Embiid is a monster in the city of brotherly love. Coming out of Kansas, Embiid was a risk for the 76ers as he had a foot injury, which had sit out for two seasons. But it was well worth the wait. He only missed the All-Star game in his first year, where he still averaged 20.2 points per game and 2.5 blocks per game in 31 games. He has yet to play over 68 games, but this made be due to the load management era that he currently plays in. People may say they only won MVP because of voting fatigue for Nikola Jokic, but considering that he won't, that he has won two straight scoring titles, I think that he has more than earned it. With James Harden wanting out of Philly, it is tough to see what Embiid can be without an all-star guard. 
But someone tells me a player of his size will do just fine with an average guard if they get nothing out of Harden. Number 71, John Havlicek. A 16-year veteran that won with the Celtics in the 60s and the 70s, Havlicek was the definition of a six-man in his early years. So much so that the NBA's Six-Man of the Year award now bears his name. He was a four-time All-Star as a six-man and would be an All-Star from the ages of 25 to 37. He, he was also the 1973-74 Finals MVP as he averaged 26.4 points per game 7.7 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists per game, and 1.9 steals per game in a seven-game series against the Bucks, led by Kareem and the Big O. His 20.8 points per game for a career was not bad for someone who was outshined in college by his own teammate. Jerry Lucas at Ohio State, who made a ton of Sports Illustrated covers while in Columbus, was that guy who outshined him. Luckily, Hondo fell to the number nine pick where the Celtics would take him, and Boston was exactly where he would stay to get into the Hall of Fame in 1984. Number 70, Tim Hardaway. Everybody's running. Tim Hardaway, the killer crossover. That's as good as it gets, Steve. That's as good as it gets, because he had to beat two players. The third and final member of Run TMC, Hardaway has one of the nastiest crossovers that the league has ever seen, period. He made three straight All-Stars as he was a high-scoring facilitator for the iconic trio, but that would end after a knee injury would have him sit out his age 27 season. He would only last a year and a half in the Bay as he would then be traded to Miami with Chris Gatling for Bimbo Coles and Kevin Willis. Talk about a steal. He would go back to all-star form, making it in his first two seasons on South Beach. Hardaway would go down as the best point guard in the franchise's history, and he would probably hold that distinction if in Golden State, if it wasn't for a certain baby-faced assassin. He would then dip below double-figure scoring in his final two seasons in Dallas, Denver, and Indiana. Hardaway broke ankles all the way to the Hall of Fame for his induction in 2022. Number 69, Pau Gasol. Gasol was a player that made an impact nearly everywhere he went. He was the number three pick in a truly abysmal 2001 draft, with Kwame Brown going number one and Tony Parker going number 28. So something is backwards there. He would be traded on draft night from Atlanta to Vancouver, where he would be the 01-02 rookie of the year. Except that the Grizzlies relocated to Memphis a few days after the draft. 
Gasol is a part of an exciting young team with players like Shane Battier, Lorenzen Wright, Stromile Swift, and Jason Williams. Although Gasol was an exciting 15-plus point-per-game scorer, there were only three playoff appearances in the cards for the Grizzlies, getting swept out of the first round each time. Then the 2008 trade deadline came, and it would take Gasol from a one-time All-Star to a Hall of Famer. He would be traded to the Lakers to help out Kobe after Shaq departed for South Beach in 2004. His production would stay the same in L.A., but now he was playing with Kobe, Andrew Bynum, and Derek Fisher instead of his Memphis teammates, where they would still be exciting, but they win in L.A. The Lakers made the finals in the first half year, in his first half year, excuse me, and it would be a doozy. The reignition of Celtics-Lakers. Powell would average a double-double, but it wasn't enough as the big three Celtics took the series in six games. The next two years would be pure ecstasy, beating the Magic in five games in the 9 Finals, and then getting their revenge against the Celtics in seven games. Powell's 19 points and 18 rebounds, half of which came off the offensive glass, would secure the Lakers their 16th championship in that Game 7. It would also vault Kobe into the all-time greats discussion with his five rings. Gasol was also a three-time All-Star in his first three years in L.A. He would then go to Chicago to get two more nods, making it six for his career. He would then play a great role in San Antonio before ending his career in Milwaukee at the age of 38. His Hall of Fame induction came this past year in 2023. Number 68. Rajon Rondo. George Carl saying he just really didn't get his legs until about last week where he has played a little bit. What a pass by Rondo. Well, the assist game starts with a beauty for a Ray Allen three. Rajon Rondo leading the NBA with an absurd first getting into basketball, there was one NBA team that stuck out to me. Boston Celtics. And Rajon Rondo really stuck out to me on that team. Again, he's not someone who's as popular as Nasher Kid. But Rondo has some of the most ridiculous passes that I have ever seen. Now, was he helped out by having KG, The Truth, and Jesus Shuttlesworth as his Boston teammates? Yeah, but you still have to be supremely talented to pull off a mid-air behind-the-back slash-over-the-head passes to the corner where while you are under the basket. Is he the most fundamentally sound? No. Every coach in basketball will tell you not to leave your feet without knowing where you'll pass it. But Rondo knew exactly where to pass it. That's the difference in his game. His driving ability was also very quick and direct, which is exactly what you want a player to do while they're driving. Not only that, but he was doing all of this as one of the best in the league on both ends of the floor being the steals leader in 09 and 10, and being a three-time assist champion in 2011, 2012, and 2016. He may have been rocky once he got out of Boston, since he never made any more All-Star games than the four straight they had while in Boston. But that 2016 assist championship came in Sacramento, the season after he had left Boston. And as I mentioned during Pau Gasol, the Celtics won a championship with Rondo in 2008. His second year in the league, where he started every game he played in. 
Rondo is a clear Hall of Famer to me, but only time will tell because he just retired in 2022. Number 67, Alonzo Mourning. Harper, Steve Kerr is on the floor for Chicago. Blocked by Mourning, beautiful timing. Bill Russell type block. Not only did he block it, he brought the ball. Mourning is one of the best rim protectors to ever step on the hardwood with plenty of accolades to back him up. He would have been a no-brainer for a number one pick in 1992 if it was not for Shaq. But Zoe would go number two for to the Hornets where he would join Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson. He had a terrific rookie year, averaging 21 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game, and 3.5 blocks per game. Once again, Shaq stood in the way of that rookie of the year. He would make the All-Star team the next two years, and then he would be traded to the Heat to lead the way. Until Tim Hardaway joined him. He would make five All-Stars in Miami as the Heat would make the playoffs every year except for his last year in 01-02, including a conference finals appearance in 1997. Alonzo would lead the league in blocks for the 98-99 and 99-2000 seasons, where he would also win Defensive Player of the Year back-to-back. He would miss the whole 02-03 season due to a kidney disease where he had to receive a kidney transplant. His career would not quite be the same as he would go to New Jersey for a year and a half before going back to Miami. This Miami stint would have him joining a young phenom named Dwayne Wade and Shaq. We all know how much Shaq loves a number 33. But Shaq kept a number 33 for Alonzo just in case he were to come back and wanted it. This would net Zoe an NBA championship in 2006 over the Mavs. This would help boost his career to be more than Hall of Fame worthy where he was inducted in 2014. Number 66, Chris Webber. Back to green into the hands of Spiro. Fast break down to Webber. He turns. Phenom in college as the best player of Michigan's Fab Five, Weber was the obvious choice for a number one pick in a 1993 draft for the Magic. But he was quickly traded to the Warriors for Penny Hardaway to play under Don Nelson alongside Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway. Although Hardaway would miss the entire season, C. Webb would win Rookie of the Year, averaging 17.5 points, 9.1 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.2 steals, and 2.2 blocks per game with the Warriors making the playoffs. Weber would only last one year in the Bay as he and Dodd Nelson would not get along. So he was shipped off to Washington to play for the Bullets alongside former Fab Fiver, Juwan Howard. He would up his production to over 20 points per game, but he was only a one-time All-Star in the capital city. So, where to now? Destination would be Sacramento, where he would be traded for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe. And this is where Weber's Hall of Fame resume would be built. He would immediately lead the league in rebounding and would average 13 per game. He would then make the All-Star team the next four years as they would make the playoffs every year Weber was in Sacktown. Whether they should have made the finals in 2002 is for another day. He would then go to Philly to have 
one last season of scoring 20 points per game before finishing his career in his hometown of Detroit and Golden State, where it all began. He would end up making the Hall of Fame in 2021, averaging 20.7 points, 9.8 rebounds, 1.4 steals, and 1.4 blocks for his career. Number 65, Kevin McHale. Keeps it alive. DJ's got it. Up to Kevin. Goes to the hoop. Blocked. Back to As Kevin. I mentioned with Robert Parrish last week, Kevin McHale's career started with one of the most lopsided trades in NBA history. He would slot into the six-man role for the Celtics and would thrive in it, winning six-man of the year twice in 84 and 85, being the second player that ever earned the award after Bobby Jones. He would also make the 84 All-Star game by only starting 10 games that season. He would take a one-year break from All-Star and then go for six straight consecutive after that. He would then lead the league in field goal percentage two years straight in 87 and 88, averaging 60.4% in both seasons. His 13-year career would could have been longer if he was not so dedicated to winning a championship in 1987. So much so they played on a broken foot. It would not pay off, though, as the Lakers would win over the Celtics in six games. Nevertheless, McHale had an incredible career where he would never average under 10 points per game. So incredible, they made the Hall of Fame in 1999. Number 64, Jimmy Butler. great defender that is trying to get over the hump in Miami today. Butler's one of the more coarse stars in the league today, to put it lightly. The 30th pick in the 2011 draft that featured Kyrie Irving, Klay Thompson, and Kawhi Leonard, Butler, like Draymond Green, 100% had a chip on his shoulder everywhere he went. He would only average 2.6 points per game his rookie year and 8.6 the next year. He would then get a bump up in minutes and become a full-time starter to average 13.1 points per game. He would then make four straight All-Star games starting in 2015, three of which were in Chicago as he was a great defender that also dropped 20 a game. His last of the four All-Stars came in Minnesota as he was traded with Justin Patton for Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and Laurie Markkinen. They would make the playoffs that year as Jimmy would average 22.2 points, 5.3 rebounds, and 4.9 assists, and two steals a game. The next year, though, would start out interesting. Jimmy would go to a Timberwolves practice as he and a bunch of bench players, really a bunch of third stringers, would take on the rest of the starters. Jimmy was apparently torching the starters while also looking at Tom Thibodeau and others in the organization and screaming, trade me and you effing need me. So, Jimmy would only play 10 games in Minnesota that year and be traded to the 76ers with Justin Patton again for Jared Bayless, Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, and a second-round pick. 
This stint would not be as that much longer, though, because Jimmy's reputation came with him, and it kind of made it awkward at first. And by kind of, I mean it did. But they got together, and was ma- and they were making a great playoff run. Until Jimmy's 2011 draft classmate did this to him. got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the tagger? he wondered if he would be able to run it back at the Sixers and that he thought it would probably be a no. Well, he was right. After some deliberations, Jimmy was sent to Miami, where he resides today. Fans could tell right away that Pat Riley and his heat culture was perfect for Jimmy as they would make the finals in the bubble and nearly take out the Lakers. Jimmy has been a two-time All-Star in Miami along with two NBA Finals appearances. He also led the league in steals in his age 31 season at 2.1 per game. To me, when it's all said and done, Jimmy should be a Hall of Famer. Number 63, Allen Iverson. Perfect definition of a combo guard. Allen Iverson was an out-of-his-mind scorer. Being the number one pick in one of the most stacked drafts of all time, AI, AI excuse me, had to live up to the hype along with his classmates Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, and Steve Nash. And he definitely did so as he would immediately start scoring 23.5 points and seven and averaging 7.5 assists per game for an obvious Rookie of the Year selection. He would then continue to score 20-plus points per game until 2008-2009 and win four scoring titles, including the 98-99 season where he was not an All-Star. He would then make the All-Star team 11 straight times to end his career, including two All-Star MVPs. He would lead the league in steals three years straight, and he led the league in scoring for those first two years. The first of those seasons was his magnum opus, as he would win the 2000-2001 MVP and would carry the 76ers to the NBA Finals and win Game 1 to spoil the Lakers from sweeping the playoffs. He would still be a great combo guard in Denver, Detroit, and Memphis, as well as a 25-game stint in the city of brotherly love, never averaging under 10 points per game. He would undoubtedly make the Hall of Fame in 2016. Number 62, Derrick Rose. On this list, Roses is a story of heartbreak. 
The number one pick in, the, in 2008, Rose returned to his hometown of Chicago to head the Bulls alongside Joakim Noah and Luol Deng. He went rookie of the year as he would average 16.8 points, 6.3 assists, as the Bulls would make the playoffs. He would then make three straight All-Star games as he was a steady 20 points per game scorer. This stint included the 2010-2011 season where he would average 25 points per game, 7.7 assists, and one steal per game, as he would become the youngest MVP in NBA history at the age of 22, and the Bulls would make the Eastern Conference Finals. The next year would be about the same for the Bulls, as they went 50-16 and in a lockout-shortened season and go into the playoffs as number one seed. Then it happened in game one. Look, we're, we're looking to sweep you guys. You wanted us. You were crying out that you bypassed the, the harder team in Miami. Oh, oh, Rose came down bad on his left foot. See him holding on to his knee. Holding on to his knee and down. ACL and the Bulls would lose the series. Now, the landscape of ACL tears in 2012 was not what it is today. ACL tears were career jeopardizing. For me, it's I think of Robbie Hummel when he was at Purdue and he tore, and he tore his, and then the next year he would tear it again. He would tear the the same. I think no, he would have another ACL injury. Excuse me, and he'd be out for two years. Rose would miss the 2012-2013 season and only play ten games in the next season. Rose would have. We'd still have, you know, some great moments like this game winner against the Cavs in the playoffs. He would bounce around from New York to Cleveland to Minnesota to Detroit, back to New York, and now he's in Memphis. And the saddest part of it all is the fact that people still question whether or not he is a Hall of Famer. To me, there's no question that he will be in the Hall just because of how revolutionary he was in his short time of greatness. Number 61, Clay Thompson. Get it to him again. He's got it. His three. Pure jump shot that has ever existed in basketball. Should be enough said. But, but you know, we'll, we'll continue on. Clay Thompson is the son of former Showtime Laker and two-time NBA champion Michael Thompson. And has totally outpaced his father. In the same draft class as Jimmy Butler, Thompson may not have had as much success that he's had in the Bay because of a college phenom as Milwaukee selected Jimmer Fredette the pick before. But Clay was selected to play with an injury reel of Steph Curry and Monte Ellis and would immediately score 12.5 points on 24 minutes per game at 41.4% from three. He would then become a full-time starter the next year, even though he would almost be traded for Kevin Love before Clay became an all-star which he would go to five straight starting in 2014-2015. He would become a great number two option with a good defensive game as the Warriors would win it all in 2015, averaging 15.8 points and lose in 2016. 
The Warriors were then joined by Kevin Durant to win two more as the Warriors would become the most lethal team from beyond the arc that's probably ever existed. And much of that is thanks to Clay's silky, smooth jump shot, shooting 42.5% and 42.9% from three. He would then tear his ACL in the 2019 finals against the Raptors and miss the 2019-2020 season and then tear his Achilles getting ready for a 2020-2021 season. He and the Warriors will return to glory as they would win the 2022 finals over the Celtics averaging 17 points and 1.3 steals per game. So far in his career, he has averaged 19.8 points on an absurd 41.6% clip from three. Thank you for listening once again. Uh, I really have been enjoying making this series a lot of and I'll wait for you guys to hear the next three weeks. Once again, 95% sure that all of this, except for one of them, is the NBA media's credit. But just in case, here we go. Lamar Maddock, watch NBA 2014-15, ice cold, backroom basketball, Ryan Van Dusen, Nobody Touches Jordan, Ho Cup Guy Classics, Game Time Highlights, House of Highlights, No Cheese 22, NBA US 3030, NBA Pam, as well as the NBA and ESPN. Thank you for everything. Also, to Paramount Pictures Airplane. So, uh, yeah, those are all the uh, audio clips that I use. Thank you so much. I really do get approves, everything. So, that's it for this week. Be sure to follow me on X slash Twitter at DFR00. I'll talk to you next week. Peace.